I never really belonged. I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. I never had a sort of a real foundation because we were moving all the time and my traumatic school career. All of these things led me onto this path of substance abuse, a need for belonging, a need to to feel okay with myself, etc. And my addiction started long before I actually picked up substances. Welcome to the tribe. This is your weekly podcast from Tribe Sober. Whether you're already sober, striving to be sober, or just plain sober curious, you need a tribe. You need a tribe because it's so hard to do this alone. You need a tribe because you need support. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've got your back. Here at Tribe Sober, we have people at all stages of the journey, all helping each other to stay on track. On this podcast, we've got recovery stories to inspire you, experts to inform you, and plenty of advice on how to ditch the drink and change your life. So here's your host, tribe leader, Janet Gorond. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tribe Sober podcast, episode 91. My name is Janet Goron. I'm the founder of Tribe Sober, and I'm your host for this podcast. Now, here at Tribe Sober, we help people to change their relationship with alcohol and then to go on and actually thrive in their alcohol-free lives. And over the last six years, we've helped hundreds of people to do just that. And we created Tribe Sober because we believe it's really hard to change your drinking habits alone. So at Tribe Sober, we're all about community. And each week we feature a community voice just to give you a flavor of the awesomeness of our tribe. On the 20th of March, our sober bus will be departing on another 66-day alcohol-free challenge. So let's have a listen to one of the many people who've done this challenge in the past. I've enjoyed the journey of the 66 days. I've enjoyed being engaged. I haven't quite got it 100% right, but I'm certainly on track to making it a permanent status. I don't know why people do it. I understand why people do it. I understand why I do it. But, you know, if you look at it logically and pragmatically, it's as bad as smoking. So if you'd like to hop on the sober bus that leaves on the 20th of March, Just go to tribesober.com and click on Sober Spring 2022 and grab your ticket. And of course, if you're in South Africa, there's no need to feel left out. Just hop on the bus and join us for a Sober Autumn Challenge. My guest today has an inspirational story of recovery. After a really difficult start in life and a decade of drug taking, Nikki began her long recovery journey. Her childhood was traumatic and Nikki turned to drugs at an early age. And in spite of her efforts to develop a career in dance and drama, her addiction merely deepened. She finally checked into her first rehab in her late 20s and began the journey to recovery. A journey that would lead her to discover her true purpose in life. So I began by asking Nikki to introduce herself. I currently live in Cape Town, South Africa. I originally was born in Johannesburg, back when it was still farmland in those days, in Ravonia, Sunninghill Park. A lot has changed since then, but I moved down to Cape Town around when I was about 10 years old. Uh, That was quite a dramatic uh, turn of events for me in my life, moving from 
a farm wild child, you know, running around naked to high walls and electric fences in Camps Bay. So I think that had a dramatic, a profound impact on my life. Moved around a lot, went to various different schools, uh, actually went to about seven different schools. I did not have a very successful school career, which also was very traumatic, in, you know, if I had to look back and reflect on that now. So let's do a bit of looking back, Mickey. Let's, let's hear about the substance abuse issues and when they started, really. What kind of age was this during your tra- traumatic school career? Yes. Most definitely. Um, I was uh, very much an early bird in that sense of the word. You know, I do come from a culture of drinking. My, my family is, um, you know, very much involved in, in that activity. And I think it's, I've been predisposed. Um, so I do come from a generation of alcoholics, I think. By the time I was 13 already, things were, you know, the minute I picked up Actually, I had my first beer when I was about nine years old, and I distinctly remember that. And then from then on, it was just a progression. Um, yeah. And I think by the time I was 13 years old, I was sort of engaging in real, you know, uh, drinking um, over weekends and sort of holidays, etc., etc. and it just progressed from there. Yeah. Right. Um, by the time I was 16 years old, I got very heavily involved in drugs. I was introduced to mandrax and crack cocaine um, and that took me on a whole other level of substance use. My thinking was because I come from a you know basically an alcoholic family I really despised drinking. Um, I didn't really want to become like my you know my parents and etc. So when I was introduced to drugs, I mean, I was smoking weed, maybe 13, 14, 15 years old, smoking marijuana, trying different things. I was experimenting. Yeah, by the time I was 16, my, my, my boyfriend at the time, he was involved significantly yeah, in drug use and introduced me to crack and mandrax. And then from there, it's, it just kind of progressed. Drugs appeal to you because you saw it as something different to what your your parents were doing. Well, yes, you know when we talk about drug, substance use and we talk about addiction, um, you know it's only recently the research has shown, and what I have believed in many, many for many, many years now is that it's not actually the substance abuse; it's actually what happens before that. Um, and addiction, what happens in the brain and the body and the link that it has to trauma, etc. So my belief is, you know, due to childhood and my own upbringing, you know, I, I was, I wouldn't say set because nobody's really set, but that was the line that I took because I believe I never really belonged. I didn't feel comfortable in my own skin. I never had a sort of a real foundation because we were moving all the time and, my traumatic school career, all of these things um, sort of led me onto this path of substance use, a need for belonging, a need to to feel okay with myself, etc. And my addiction started long before I actually picked up substances. Absolutely, yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's carry on with your story a bit. Talk to us about your 20s. I mean, did you do your studies? Did you go to college and start a career? What happened so, as you got a bit older? Yeah, so basically I went to about seven different schools from from standard four to standard eight because I failed every year. 
um, my core belief was that I was stupid and that I was unable to retain any kind of information to get me through to matric. So I was different and I was stupid and uh, that is what I'm, I, the belief that I carried through for a very long time in my life. So by the time I was 17 years old, I quit school and I, you know, went into trying to find another world where I could sort of be okay and be a part of because obviously academically I was not, I was not yeah. thriving in that area. So I rebelled you have to find against, where you belonged. <laughs> yeah, and I rebelled against the system. I rebelled against my parents. I rebelled against anything that um, you know that was structured. Anything that um, could have made made me feel stupid or whatever. And I engaged in activities that were rebellious, you know. Um, and because of that, I mean, obviously, being brought up in a sort of English colonial conservative family I was considered a rebel in those days um, and there wasn't such a thing as you know addiction being a disease or um, you know the medical model or anything it was like I was labeled a rebel I was labeled a, a junkie you know somebody who who was just um, rebelled against authority all of these things yeah and then I tried to get into uh, dance and drama because I was quite creative I started started dancing at the Waterfront Theatre School in Cape Town, uh, but by then I was so involved in the drugs and in my own sort of social life that I got involved very much in the entertainment industry, in the club life. Um, I started working clubs and um, helping, you know, helping people out there. Um, I started dealing in drugs and, yeah, I mean, it just kind of snowballed. I don't even know how it happened. Uh, but I, I started making lots of money and I had a whole crowd and I felt like I belonged and I was part of. Um, I got into the trance scene where doing loads of trance parties all over South Africa. And then I started doing my own trance parties and my own parties. So I was making a lot of money. I was dealing in drugs. Everybody loved me. I was great. You know, this was, uh, I had a job because, uh, you know, a, a life that a lot of people looked at and were envious of, you know. Yeah, yeah, that, that all um, sounds sounds quite cool. So and that kind yeah. of thing is it's like the drinking. It, it's great fun until it's not, you know, and uh, I well, guess there must it, have been a turning point for you at some point. Well, definitely. I mean, what I didn't realise um, then, what I do realize now is I was using the drugs and the substance as a coping mechanism because ultimately I wasn't able to regulate my, regulate myself and my emotions properly. So there was a lot of underlying co-occurring mental health issues that were going on that I was just self-medicating. You know, the belief that I was stupid and that I was a rebel and all of this stuff was just fueling my addiction, fueling my substance use and my need to go, you know, to just go out there and yeah, create chaos. In amongst all of this, I was still kind of doing odd jobs, maintaining here and maintaining there. I would try and get back into the system again, try and work a normal job, inverted commas, constantly be, up, you know, putting my foot in. And all the whole time, it was just reaffirming that I wasn't normal, that I wasn't able to uh, to work in the system, that, you know, my, my I was different that nobody was, uh, nobody understood me. I was completely misunderstood. 
by by the system, by society at large, by the world itself. Um, so I, I adapted this real sort of uh, warrior spirit of, you know, it's me against the world. That was kind of my protection. And that's what kind of helped me survive um, yep. up until, you know, up until recently. Okay. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. When did things start to change for you? When did you realize that you wanted to to try a different life? Things were going really downhill for me when I actually fell pregnant with Troy, my son. Okay. I was 29 years old. And I knew that I had I knew I had a problem then. But I was in yep. denial and you know people had tried to kind of help me get into some sort of help but I was just you know, not interested. It was only when I um, fell pregnant with Troy that I realized, okay, like this is going to be my saving grace. You know, I'm a mother now. You know, I'm going. I need to sort myself out. But then, even I thought to myself, oh gosh, I can't go into rehab and have a baby in rehab. So I didn't, and I carried on. But but it was that was the kind of turning point. Then I thought, okay, well, when Troy was born, I really thought that I would get my life together and get my act together. But that didn't happen. I actually spiraled into severe guilt and shame. And I I started using more. And my behavior uh, escalated. And my drug use escalated. It didn't actually decrease. It increased. um, Because I was was experiencing immense guilt and shame around how could I do this, whatever the case is. I think when Troy was about a year, you know, I had to give him up and sign over the custody oh, because I was just, yeah. uh, you know, I was not capable of looking after him. Uh, and you were bringing him up alone, I, I imagine? No, yes. I did have my, my family. Um, right. Uh, but Troy's father, actually, he left us when, we, when, we, when Troy was around, I think, about nine months old or something like that. So it was a huge blow. And that just reaffirmed that I wasn't lovable and I was unworthy and I couldn't amount to much and I was stupid and I couldn't even be a mother or, you know, have a a healthy relationship. And then I had to sign custody over to my mother. Um, They actually took me to court around that. And that was when I went into my first rehab. But I was so angry at the world. I was so angry at myself and so angry at the world and, completely misunderstood that I just carried on it took about six rehabs later for me to actually come right and what kind of period of time was that over it was seven years ago that I actually really came into recovery it was five years ago that I got my son back got him back and I am now his primary caregiver so about for a period of five years that was going on was it a process of each rehab was helping you a little more? Was it? Did you feel you were on the path to recovery during that time? Or was it maybe rehab number six, something clicked? <laughs> Generally, you know, going into rehab at 29 is actually quite late, you know. But between 29 and 30, um, in my experience, is a really good time to actually enter recovery. Because it's not really the rehab that actually changes a person or makes them well again or makes them want to go into recovery. It helps, but it's actually what happens internally and the process that, you know, we need to go through for ourselves that makes all the difference. So some people could go to 20 different rehabs, 
but their mindset around it is wrong, so they never into into recovery. And what they do is they just it's the forever evolving door of rehab. Yeah. And then unfortunately yeah. they get institutionalized. And they're unable to go out into the world and fend for themselves and empower themselves to make something out of themselves because they get institutionalized. Um, yeah. Because it's always about somebody else trying to save you instead of you saving yeah. yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to be ready, have to be ready to yeah. change. Yes. Definitely Troy, my son, was a huge, uh, a huge driving force for me to get uh, into recovery. Yeah. But I had to get over my guilt and shame. I had to see myself in a different light before I could actually really be open and willing to 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 change. And even though those rehabs, those six rehabs did help and they gave me the tools, I didn't use them until I got yeah. to that point where I was I felt that I was worthy enough to fight for my own life, to fight for myself and for my son. Yeah. Um, and that's when everything changed. Uh, I would say a spiritual experience, like a spiritual yeah. awakening, um, because I've, I've done various different rehabs from 12 steps to military to uh, farm life, um, you know, labor intensive, uh, the legal model. And then I went into the faith-based model and I actually ended up in no point for a year, which was my last rehab. And six months into that rehab, I... I just had that kind of, it wasn't like bright lights and Jesus coming down or anything like that. It was a very quiet internal knowing that I was here for a purpose, that I was here to do and to be something. I didn't know what, I didn't know what it was about, but I, I really had a deep knowing that this, there was a purpose for me, there was a meaning for me, and um, all of the hell that I've been through in the last 20 years of my life, there was a reason for that. And not only, like, I really leaned into the role of a mother, like, I really knew I could not allow my son to grow up knowing that his mother was a junkie or a flippin' drug addict or, a, you know, uh, all, all, all of that. I, I really yeah. wanted to to have him uh, see me as the person. Um, sure. And knowing also what this life is all about, I knew that I could help him and support him through everything that he's going to be going through in, yeah. in life. Yeah. And he needed yeah. that. Yeah. Like a lot of people need that. That's really interesting, Nikhil. I love the idea that you finally had this, you know, internal spiritual shift uh, and when you had that you already had the tools because you you'd been educated at rehab so many times so you knew what to do but yeah. it just proves doesn't it we have to be ready otherwise we're just not interested oh. i took what i needed and i created my own sort of recovery yeah. program it yeah, wasn't yeah, like i was a staunch 12 stepper or i was a complete mm religious freak and Bible, uh, you know, into the whole faith-based thing. I took little things because I've always been a seeker in my life. So, um, yeah. you know, I've never just sort of focused on one particular thing. Yeah, I heard someone describe the kind of recovery process the other day as as a buffet. You know, we, we just have to take what's, what feels right for us and we all have to do our work but you know it's not it doesn't mean everybody's got to do the 12 steps by any mean we, we just have to do the work that is right for us 
And I love the idea that everybody has different work to do. And of course, it depends on our backgrounds, our experiences, whatever work we'll do. So you've been clean for six years, did I see? I have been sober, yeah, for six years. Right. I have got, uh, you know, mental health issues that I need to manage every day. I still have behavioral issues that I, you know, that I have to manage every day. Just because I am off the substances, I've recovered from the substance yeah. abuse. I've recovered from the my dependency on substances, and I, um, I've recovered everything that I've lost, you know, during that time. But now it's about learning about myself and um, learning about how to manage my emotions because really, ultimately, I have a, a self-regulation disorder where I'm unable to regulate my nervous system or my emotional states, you know, in a, in a, in a healthy kind of way. Um, yeah. But being a coach, a recovery coach, a professional recovery coach and a, a recovery coach trainer, I am training um, people all the time, every day, all day to use the tools, not only for their own recovery process, but also for their, their life, because everybody yeah. needs recovery. It's not just from substance abuse. It's from various different uh, things that happen on, in our lives. Absolutely, um, absolutely. I don't know if you ever saw that book that Russell Brand wrote um, about the 12 steps and how they can be um, applied to, to life, you know, for people that have no substance totally. abuse issues. Yeah, it's quite totally. interesting. And I mean, the coaching yeah. methodology and the tools that we that we teach can be used in, in yeah. you know, any area of your life. You're listening to a podcast from Tribe Sober. If you'd like to join our warm and welcoming community, just head on over to tribesober.com and hit the membership tab. That's www.tribesober.com. So you've mentioned the recovery coaching. How, how did you get into that? Did you have a recovery coach yourself or you read no. about a course? So when I came out of my last rehab, all I cared about was I've got to get myself a job and I've got to find, I've got to get money in so I can get my son back. That was my focus and I was working three jobs and I was thinking of going into the tourism industry because I'd been in it before so that's what I did and then I got into the guest house industry and I became um, you know manager of that and I managed various guest houses so I was slowly but surely making my way in the world and you know sort of integrating back into society as best I could you know I had main focus I wasn't really interested in anything else but to to set myself up and build myself a you know foundation where I could get my son back. Um, and it was only about a year later that I applied for this job um, back in the industry, in the addiction field, because there was like, when I had to go back and I explained to you that I had a spiritual awakening, I knew that there was a, a reason that I was on this planet. I just didn't know yeah. what that was besides being a mother. And there was meaning or purpose in my life. Um, so when I found this advert in the newspaper, it was back in the addiction field working in a rehab. And I thought, oh, why not? Because I was really tired of working uh, at the guest house and I applied and I got the job. So I started working for relapse prevention. And because of my, um, you know, people skills, I, I, I did very well in that job, although I was so passionate about it that I kind of burned out. You know, my phone was ringing 24-7. I was just 
helping people getting into rehab, counseling them, all of that stuff. Yeah, within the year, I burnt myself out, literally, because I wasn't looking after myself. I wasn't doing my own recovery program. And I was just basically, I was thinking that I was helping everyone and thinking that I was doing okay, because what is, uh, you know, what is it we do? We, we help other people to carry the message. Um, but in actual fact, my own recovery was in dire need of some attention. So when I burned myself out, I went again back on the on the computer and David Collins actually just rocked up on my screen. It was completely unexpected. It was never, it wasn't like, I, I wouldn't even be able to tell you how it happened, to be honest. Mm. It was just for me, it was the universe in action. It was a yep. sign. And I've never looked back four years later. Uh, where I found myself in a container with David Collins and a whole bunch of Australian people that were talking about recovery coaching and my background and my, um, you know, authority issues. This was just me. And I immediately yeah. felt like I was understood and I, I belonged. And that was it. I've been with them ever since. Uh, I started uh, did the recovery coaching course, became a recovery coach, opened up my own practice. Then I became a facilitator. Then I developed the Peer Recovery Specialist Training Manual with David Collins. And I've been training ever since. It's just gone from strength to strength. And then now we yeah. have partnered up with our partner in the USA, Damien Ross, who uh, is the founder of Pocket Rehab. And we are basically supporting people all over the world globally. We have 100,000 members on our Pocket Rehab app. It's a 24-7 anonymous platform where people can just get on and start talking that's that's amazing that's a beautiful story nikki you know how yeah. your past and your pain and now it's all come together and given you the skills to help other people yeah well so, i mean i really feel like i'm living in my purpose so let me just ask you uh, a last question nikki i don't want to take up all your morning if someone's listening to this and they they know they've got issues but they just don't know where to start. They don't know where to go for help. They don't know what what is the best route. And they feel completely overwhelmed at the thought of, of changing. They don't think they can do it. What, what do you think the best steps are, the, the first option? Definitely, I would, you know, try and reach out to a recovery specialist or a recovery coach because okay. uh, we, are, we, we assist people in real time. So we're, yep. we, we meet the clients where they're at so it's not yeah. like you're going to go into therapy and you're sitting there and you know you, you're kind of purging all your trauma etc what we do is we will we will meet you where you're at and we will assist and support you in where you want to be whatever that looks like it doesn't yeah, yeah. matter we're not there to yeah. tell you to stop drinking we're not there to tell you you need to do this or that that that's not our job we are there to support you and to help you into kind of figuring out a way to get to where you want to be, whether that's, uh, you know, abstinence or not, whether it's to yeah, find yeah. a new job or change your life or, you know, get out of a, a nasty relationship, whatever it is. Um, we are there to support you because we believe that you have the answers within you. I have exactly. experience. Yeah. I have lived yeah. experience. It's not your experience. Yeah. You have a different culture, history, structure, experience. You grew up in a different way. I don't have those answers. I can't tell you what is right, you know, for you, what's wrong for you. You're the only one who can do that. 
Well, thank you, Nikki. Your your passion shines through. What can I say? You've done an amazing job on yourself. And now the fact that you're helping others is beautiful. How can people contact you? Um, I have a Facebook page called Nikki Edwards Recovery Coaching. My my company name is NERC, N-E-R-C, which stands for Nikki Edwards Recovery Coaching. I can also be contacted on um, Nikki at uac.org.za. Web address is www.nikkiedwards.com. Thank you, Nikki. Let's highlight some points from that conversation. As you heard, Nikki's childhood was not an easy one. Her parents drank a lot and they also moved around the country a lot, which resulted in her changing schools seven times. Unsurprisingly, she felt like a bit of an outsider and struggled to fit in, never feeling comfortable in her own skin, as she puts it. She was certainly an early starter when it comes to alcohol and drugs, and by the age of 13, she was drinking and smoking marijuana. And due to her parents' drinking habits, Nikki felt more of a pull towards hard drugs. And at the age of 16, her boyfriend had introduced her to mandrax and crack cocaine. With her current knowledge of addiction, Nikki is able to trace her substance abuse right back to her childhood trauma. As she puts it, her addiction started long before she picked up a drug. Many of you will be familiar with the work of Dr. Gabor Mate, who's done extensive research into childhood trauma and the link with addiction. To quote Dr. Mate, Trauma is a psychic wound that hardens you psychologically and then interferes with your ability to feel, to grow and to develop. It pains you and now you're acting out of pain. So apart from reacting to the childhood trauma, Nikki also understands that she was using drugs as a coping mechanism as she felt quite unable to regulate her emotions. Her search for belonging began in earnest at the age of 17 when she left school. She rebelled against anything and everything, certainly anything structured, as her education had left her feeling like a failure. She studied dance and drama and got involved in the club scene where she felt a sense of belonging for the first time. She was organising trance parties, making good money and everybody loved her. Now and again Nikki would try to get a regular job but it never really worked out and it just confirmed her belief that she didn't fit into the normal world. At the age of 28 she got pregnant and she knew that this would have to be her turning point. However, motherhood caused her to feel a lot of guilt and shame and in fact she stepped up her drug use to cope. And by the time her son was one year old, Nikki lost custody, which just reaffirmed her feelings of inadequacy. Now this proved to be her rock bottom, which was a catalyst for her long road to recovery, starting with her first rehab. The first rehab was not particularly effective. She just felt very angry. And in fact, it would take several years and five more stays in rehab until she finally came into recovery. We both agreed that rehab was pretty pointless if you're not ready. Being sent to rehab simply does not work. And too much rehab results in being institutionalized, which means that you'd never be able to function in the outside world. Nikki's final rehab 
Rehab Number 6, was a one-year program. Six months into this program, Nikki had what she describes as a spiritual awakening, a feeling that the years of hell that she'd been through had given her a purpose. Now, she already had all the tools from her various days in rehab, but she finally began to select the tools that she felt were right for her and use them. We agreed that we all have to do the work, but of course our work will vary depending on our background. Nikki regained custody of her son and she leaned into the role of being a mother. And she also began to develop her career as a recovery coach by working with David Collins, the founder of Ubuntu Addiction Community. I interviewed David for the podcast a couple of weeks ago, so watch this space to learn more about his amazing work. These days, Nikki is a recovery coach herself. She trains other coaches and she's also involved in the amazing Pocket Rehab Initiative. We both agreed that rehab is one thing, but coping with the outside world is a very individual journey. And it's our job as coaches to meet you where you are at. You can find out more about Nikki and connect with her on her Facebook page, Nikki Edwards Recovery Coaching, or on her website, which is called NikkiEdwards.com. I'll put everything in the show notes. This week, we've got a brand new PDF for you. We're calling it our Sobriety Battle Plan, and it's packed with useful charts and trackers. It'll help you get started, and then it'll help you to stay on track. So just email Janet at tribesober.com and we'll send you that battle plan. So let me finish with a message from one of our members. It's from Trish in Australia, who struggled to get started, but once she got going, there was no stopping her. Have a listen to this. A hundred days. I can't quite believe I've made it. I'm slowly starting to think of myself as an ex-drinker. Still a way to go and simple things can knock me sideways for a few days and I do entertain the idea of wine. But playing the movie forward has been invaluable advice. I know that I would end up back where I was. Reading quit lit for three to four years and still being unable to even try to stop poisoning myself. Waking up every day regretful, anxious and depressed and the chronic exhaustion all day, every day. No, going back to all that is not an option. That I know for sure. To be honest, I am battling a sense of boredom and flatness some days. Other days I'm on top of the world. I know time will help and I know I have to find ways to enjoy myself again. It's a journey of discovery, and I'm up for it. I'm all in, and this tribe is where it all started. I'll always be grateful. Oh, well, thank you, Trish, and well done. And yes, the boredom and the flatness is real, and you will need to find ways to enjoy yourself again. If anyone else is stuck in that place, that place of boredom and flatness and not being quite sure what to do with yourself, have a listen to Tribe Sober, episode 55. It's called The Happy Brain with Loretta Broining. She simply explains how finding a project, working towards a project, will help to trigger the happy brain chemicals. Have a listen. It's really worth a try.
We're already getting sign-ups for our Sober Spring Challenge, which starts on the 20th of March. The first few seats on the Sober Bus are filling up, so if you want a good seat, then sign up today. The challenge is 66 alcohol-free days, supported by daily emails and 66 mini-podcasts. It's great fun as everyone sets off together on the Sober Spring Bus and they all travel through the 66 alcohol-free days together. There's always a great vibe on that bus as everyone encourages and supports each other. So don't miss it. Sign up today. Just go to tribesober.com and click on Sober Spring 2022. And of course, if you're in South Africa, you can still join us for a Sober Autumn. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow us and share the podcast. We'd be so grateful if you leave us a review. And I'll be back next week. Ditching the drink is like climbing a mountain. It's hard, it takes courage and grit, and an experienced guide. And that's where we come in. Here at Tribe Sober, we've climbed that mountain, and we know the view from the top is amazing. We've used our experience to put together a unique membership program that will support you all the way. We've got challenges, chat rooms, sober buddies, trackers, and milestone awards, and that's just for starters. So head on over to tribesober.com and check out our membership program. It's the essential resource for anyone looking to ditch the drink and change their life.